The IATSE Local 212 Women's Committee is hosting the second annual Women in Entertainment Celebration and Fundraiser on Saturday, March 10th, 2018 at Fort Calgary. Doors open at 5 p.m. with film screenings from the Herland Archive beginning at 5.30. The main event starts at 6.30, and this event is in support of the Herland Mentorship Program, a program that provides opportunities for aspiring female filmmakers. Uh, headlining uh, Calgarians um, on the show uh, include Sandy Summers of Herland, Denise Clark of One Yellow Rabbit, who is the keynote speaker, and Corey Mack, the founder of the YYC Comedy Festival, who is the MC. So please join us for film screenings from the archives of the Herland Mentorship Program, Cocktails, Appetizers, and a Silent Auction. And for tickets, call the IATSE office at 403-250-2199. Tickets may be available at the door. Visit beautiful Banff, Alberta from March 9th to 11th. That's this weekend for Story Summit 2018, presented by the Alberta Media Production Industries and Banff Center for Arts and Creativity. Story Summit is the premier gathering for North American digital content creators, including filmmakers, producers, directors, camera operators, audio and editing professionals, writers, and actors. Story Summit will include keynote speakers, panel discussions, workshops crafted to sharpen both the technical and creative skills needed to stay relevant in the game, as well as invaluable opportunities to have one-on-one time to connect with presenters and industry insiders at tabletop lunches and other socials at this unique industry networking event. There are workshops that are available now for registration, uh, and they're starting to fill up, so definitely make sure you get in quick. Uh, it's the third annual summit, and this year they're focusing on story, technology, diversity, and inclusion in the ever-changing ecosystem of content and media and entertainment. A ton of great speakers, uh, one of who was on our podcast last week and another who will be uh, two more on this uh, episode right now. So we encourage everybody to uh, visit storysummit.ca and sign up because uh, registration is ending soon, and we look forward to seeing you this weekend at Story Summit. another episode of the alberta filmmakers podcast scott how are Hello. you i'm good man how are you i'm doing well we're uh, we're on skype um yeah it's a bit of a different format for us yeah yeah but uh, it's kind of cool uh, and the reason for that of course is you know last week we had we had steven campanelli who uh, was coming to us from vancouver uh so awesome show but uh, you know pardon uh, any any kind of uh, skype related uh, sound challenges same same thing today uh this time we're talking to uh some very exciting uh vfx folks that we'll get uh, more into soon but uh do pardon the uh, the skypiness uh, of some of the audio quality so last night the oscars happened scott you know what man like i don't i, I always tell myself and i believe it's true that i don't really care about the oscars yeah yeah um and you know, I like I don't I don't find the show amazing or like it doesn't it's not gripping. I don't really care who wins, but um god damn it if it doesn't inspire me every time to <laughs> to like you know crush it and like yeah. You know what? Is- a couple weeks ago was the Super Bowl and uh I'm jealous of like sports fans who are like who want to get up out of their chair and, and cheer and scream and yell uh, when their team, you know, has some great success. Um, right. And so that's what I did when Deacons finally got his Oscar. Yeah, that was, that was satisfying <laughs> for sure. It was a good moment. Um, the same with uh, Gary Oldman, you know, as well. Yes. Long overdue. Yes, for sure. And uh, who else was overdue? Um, oh, Guillermo, of course. Yeah. Yeah. He, he yeah. Was, sure. Was directing, directing mm-hmm. Oscars. So um, Jordan Peele was, a, was a, a good one to see as well. Um, totally. 
Francis McDormand had a great speech. Yes, for sure. Yeah, for sure. yeah. I mean, uh, overall, it was uh, it was not the most entertaining Oscars. Um, it was it was I, I enjoyed it. Um, I, I always I love to see what Jimmy like. I he brought a, a tour group who, into the theater last yeah, year, right. and so I was like, "What's he going to do this year to top that?" And boy, did yeah. he ever! Uh, yeah, it was pretty pretty incredible. Pretty funny. Um, so, uh, yeah, if you, if you haven't seen it, he, he brought, uh, some stars, including Mark Hamill and Gal Gadot oh, across the street into a screening of a wrinkle in time and started handing out snacks and candy and just kind of under the, um, idea of, you know, we're, we're so thankful for the moviegoers because that's, it's such a good point. I mean, all award shows are just people congratulating themselves. Yeah, uh, totally. And so, <laughs> yeah, I, I was a little bit disappointed in the audience. We you know when he was like, let's thank the, you know, the people who go see our movies. And it was kind of like. The applause was like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I was like, you should be fucking standing no, no, right no, now. That's your like, boss. Those are your bosses. Like, that's why you have yeah. a career. <laughs> it's like you should – It's like this is the one time to give the standing ovation exactly. is now. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. But no, it was – it was uh, yeah, I really like Jimmy Kimmel as a host. Um, you know, yeah. he keeps it moving. He keeps it quick and he's not too – I don't know. He's not too over the top for me. For sure. And there was that, there was that great moment where, uh, Guillermo looked at the envelope to make sure that it was shape of water. Yeah. That one. Best picture. Yeah. <laughs> he was so happy when he actually saw it. Uh, uh, did you, did you have any bets on it? Did you do a pool or anything? No, I didn't this year. Uh, really should, should be, um, it but, makes it so much more fun. Yeah. Uh, Especially, did you? you know, yeah. Yeah. I do it with, with Briar and, oh, and cool. her parents every year. Uh, nice. I came in last though. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. So I lost a buck. Well, that was, I, I mean, that's always the question is like, you have to play it like who's going to win versus who do you want to win, right? Yeah. This was kind of me just get, I got 15 right out of 24, which is, you know, better than I have done in the past. But, um, yeah, I'm not very good at that. I guess. Yeah. I, I'm always, uh, I, I, I think I have won it once, but overall I don't think I'm, I'm very good at it. I guess with my heart, I think ultimately I'm like, no, I really want this guy to win. And then, you know, I'll win money and then I'll also be happy about who won. <laughs> but yeah. So what else is going on in the news uh, before we jump into this exciting interview? Uh, yeah, yeah. There's uh, there's some office space available in Edmonton. Um, Ana Productions are offering shared office space for rent on a short-term basis. Uh, it's in South Edmonton, and it includes two offices and open workspace available immediately. Furniture, security system, shared board, kitchen, and photocopier are included. Uh, and if you're interested in a shared space like this, you can call Helen at 780-413-9285 to inquire further. Uh, we've got a link to it uh, to the ad in the show notes, and you can uh, see pictures and stuff like that. Nice. Yeah. Um, that is actually a cool opportunity for the right person uh, or the right company. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, CSF is currently searching for volunteers uh, to help out at the 26th annual Artifact Small Format Film Festival taking place March uh, 8th to 10th. Uh, looking for volunteers uh, to assist with the fe festival activities specifically on uh, Thursday, March 8th. So if you're available, uh, check out the website, csf.org, um, and you can click on the volunteer button there and uh, see what's available on the signup.com page. Uh, the, the big news uh, that dropped late last week um, is that uh, Telefilm has finally announced that uh, the formerly called Microbudget Production Program, now called the Talent to Watch Program, uh, the guidelines are live and they, they you know the call for submissions is out right um god there's so there's so much to talk about i don't want to i don't want to bog this episode down with it because we're gonna get a lot into it in the next episode right yeah for sure yeah but uh yeah i think every filmmaker who has not made a feature before should be trying their their damnedest to apply for this um if not this year then at least next year definitely um uh, 
yeah what, what do you want to talk about yeah i mean it's it, there's so much to, to go into but we, we i guess we can say we've got a really cool uh episode in the bank that we've kind of been waiting to share which is which is a conversation that you and uh barry from csif had uh, uh, as well as cameron mcgowan and, and kevin dory um so some past uh you know attendees or, or uh people uh, who have used it or, or you know taken part in the, yeah, yeah. micro budget program um so that's just filled with great information so we're definitely going to uh share that asap so that uh so that people can um, enjoy and, and use some of that knowledge as they, you know, fill up their applications. So yeah. check that out. Uh, um, if you've never heard of this program before, uh, it's how we made in plain view. Exactly. Um, and uh, you should probably check it out at telefilm.ca or just Google telefilm talent to watch. That'll get you right there and uh, start looking over those guidelines because you kind of have to have a feature film ready to go in two weeks. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so if you, if you're in Edmonton uh, or your partner organization would be FAVA, uh, the deadline is actually March 22nd, um, and if uh, you're in Calgary or, or if CSF is your partner organization, um, and it doesn't have to be, you got to look look through the guidelines. Um, the deadline for CSIF submissions uh, is the 31st of March, I believe. Right. So, so yeah, not a lot of time to pull something together. No. So stay tuned for for more about that. Um, so uh, another episode this week in our Story Summit series. Um, this one's very cool, especially because uh, one of the two guests uh, from right here in Alberta um, right. and uh, just so happened to work on a little movie called The Shape of Water along with uh, uh, his partner and I guess VFX um, uh, cohort, uh, Trey Harrell uh, and Chris Chris McLean, who uh, I believe is from Red Deer or at least spent some time in Red Deer. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we just we just finished up this conversation with these two guys. Um, very interesting, Scott. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's so it's so it's so great to chat with you know people who are in the top of their field and yeah, and how it always comes back to story for sure, right? It doesn't matter what you're doing. Um, so yeah, these you know these guys are obviously uh, fantastic artists, um, and they have some cool stories and some great you know kind of utility stuff to share with uh, yes. people who are looking to get into visual effects or directors or producers who obviously are going to have to you know, collaborate with, uh, with that craft, uh, hopefully sometime in their careers. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, here's our conversation. Thanks to story summit with Chris McLean and Trey Harrell. All right. So we are here, uh, gentlemen, why don't you introduce yourselves and, uh, and, and what you do and also, uh, let us know kind of what you're, uh, what you're doing at story summit this year. Okay, um, I, I'm Chris McLean. I'm a visual effects supervisor at Mr. X in Toronto, and uh, uh, we're, we're going to be talking about uh, visual effects in general, along with talking about uh, you know Shape of Water and Godless. And uh, Trey, go ahead and introduce yourself. <laughs> Hi, I'm Trey Harrell. I'm uh, also a visual effects supervisor at Mr. X, uh, I'm primarily based out of Toronto, but for the I'm based out of Montreal, and uh, I was the digital effects supervisor on Shape of Water, which uh, just won Best Picture. (laughs) Yeah. Last night. Congratulations. That's pretty amazing. Thank you. You obviously did some good work, I guess. Yeah, we, um, you know, the one show in 10 or 20 comes along that you really believe is going to be that you just know is going to be special 
before you even sit down and start cracking the nut. Right. And uh, this this was absolutely one of them. The um, all of the departments on the show, from the cast, the crew, everybody in post, the composer, everybody was firing on all cylinders on this. And it was a really special project to be a part of. What do you think it is about? How do you think that happens? Like, um, is it just, you know, Guillermo or is it like, what do you think it was that contributed to that kind of an attitude? Guillermo, Guillermo wears his heart on his sleeve. Um, In terms of directors that I've worked with, um, he's always able to get the best out of absolutely every crew. Um, you know, I don't know if you've seen or heard any interviews with him, but there's not a shred of cynicism in the guy. He wears his influences proudly and he just cares so intensely about the material and the genres that he works in. And that's infectious. Um, all of the crews, all of the crews on his shows, and I've, I've been privileged to work on a few of them now, um, are dedicated, <laughs> dedicated well beyond belief. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was just a really cool vibe. I think, I think it, um, shape of water was a confluence of, of a lot of things. I think the timing was right for the material. I think the material was great to begin with, but I think the, I think all of the craftsmen, all everybody in production hit their marks exquisitely on this. And that doesn't, that doesn't happen every day. No doubt. No doubt. Uh, so I, I love to kind of like tease the audience with that. And why don't we, why don't we bring it back to the very beginning with like, how did you first become kind of attracted to this in- industry in, in the first place? And both of you, what are your, what were your journeys like to get where you're at? You first, Chris. Me, me first. Okay. Um, well, I mean, I, I started, uh, uh, I started out, you know, just when I was a kid, when I'd be an, an animator, actually, um, you know, watching, watching Disney films. And I didn't really give uh, two hoots about the, uh, about the films themselves. I loved watching the behind the scenes of the uh, animators actually doing the work, you know, drawing and doing stuff like that. I had no idea how to get there. Uh, but I would, you know, I would sit and just draw for hours. And that was, that was kind of where it all began. And then, um, you know, when I got into high school, um, I found out about, uh, you know, about 3D animation and, and, and film uh, and, and gaming, actually, which is what, what led me to get into uh, visual effects through, through, uh, through uh, you know, just uh, a, a new kind of storytelling. And then uh, ended up, uh, you know, I ended up uh, taking kind of a roundabout way um, through, <laughs> through, the, through the forest of, uh, you know, schools, because nobody, nobody really knows how to teach this stuff to anybody. So you kind of have to watch, uh, you know, treat, treat it as an investment project and kind of supplement your education. So, yeah, it's definitely like uh, one of those dark arts that, that, uh, yeah. How do you, how do you learn? Yeah, actually it was, uh, I think I was taking my first year, my BFA, which I dropped out of at uh, Red Deer college. And I can't remember the guy's name, but he was one of the creature, creature guys from Lord of the Rings came in with all his little maquettes and started talking to us. And I, uh, I think that was kind of, 
you know, kind of the kind of the 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 the, the spur or the little spark that uh, that kind of gave me the uh, the uh, um, you know an inkling into how to be able to do this stuff and how to get get moving on it. But uh, uh, long story short, I ended up uh, taking that, and I, I was a graphic designer in Alberta for probably seven years, six, seven years or something like that. Um, and then, uh, found it, found a school in Edmonton, um, called dev studios, which I think is now called pixel blue studios. Um, and they had a program there. So I, uh, went there, uh, again, uh, you know, they, they taught me as much as they could. And then I supplemented my education, ended up doing some stuff for, uh, Michael Jorgensen, who's, uh, he's a big, you know, kind of Alberta producer with, uh, yeah, it was for his uh, discovery channel stuff and his national geographic stuff. Oh yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And then, uh, uh, I, I, I kind of had started building a bit of a build a bit of a repertoire for doing, you know, visual effects and CG for, for that kind of thing. And, uh, I, I actually, uh, it, it kind of all just kind of went dead for a bit. And so I just started hunting around and ended up, uh, sending sending you know however many resumes i think it was like 50 or something uh, to, to all the different companies and ended up uh getting the call back from mr x and that was i think 2008 um and you know i came out here for a six-month contract whatever it is nine years ago so <laughs> um and, wow. and it's just all kind of grown, grown from there uh have a look back hey that's great yeah cool yeah it's uh and and uh, I mean Trey Trey and I kind of started at the same time uh, to segue into his story, but uh, I, I got hired for Resident Evil and he got hired for Tron. So yeah, so my background is somewhat similar. Um, you know, as a kid, it really started with riding my bike to the video store every weekend when I was eight or nine, and you know, going. Th- 10 movies a weekend working through kind of the horror sci-fi fantasy section of the video store 10 tapes at a time in alphabetical order (laughs) and you know by by my early teens i was um working part-time at a local newspaper and learning how to do pre-press and graphic design um you know small town jacksonville florida um and by my mid-teens, I had started um, playing with a lot of makeup prosthetics and kind of going through the, at the time, they would publish magazines of like Michael Westmore's techniques on Star Trek The Next Generation. And I've cast more Klingon foreheads than I'm willing to admit, probably. Amazing. Um, <laughs> and I found my way into the advertising business by way of being really, really technical. So I'm split almost completely down the middle on the technical and the artistic disciplines. Um, And I kind of carved a niche for myself up and down the East Coast of the US, um, working in the advertising industry and knowing how to do things nobody else knew how to do in smaller markets. Uh, That might be 3D rendering, it might be compositing, it might be Painting out, painting out fluttering hairs off a film skin when somebody forgot to check the gate. Right, right. Um, you know, all all of that type of stuff. And I and I got to learn a lot of really niche activities while um, 
Well, a lot of the people that I went to school with were actually off at university. Um, primarily, primarily my peers in those markets went to SCAD or Flagler. And um, they were all getting read the Photoshop manual at the time, as opposed to being taught, you know, how to think, how to create, honing their eye. And it was like, I, I know how to use the software, so I'm just going to skip university and go straight to work. So did that for about 15 years and um, around about 2007, when the real estate crash happened in the States, there was a real big downturn in the advertising market. And um, about that time, I started sending my CG reels out. And as Chris said, I got picked up for Tron Legacy about the same time that uh, that he did. And same story, came on a six-month contract, and I'm going on 10 years now. <laughs> wow. Unreal. Yeah, so anyways, we, we've spent some time together, and we've uh, we've kind of grown up in this industry together, and we've seen a lot of... Uh, a lot of the stuff and we've actually, you know, especially in the Toronto market, um, you know, we, we've kind of, we've kind of, uh, chiseled out a niche for ourselves, I guess, uh, here in, here in Toronto with the help of uh, Dennis, uh, Berardi, the guy that owns this place. And uh, how long ago was it that we got bought out by Technicolors, right? Uh, three and a half years, probably. Yeah, so uh, we're we're now we're now uh, like a sister company to all the all the other big guys like MPC in the mill, right? Um, under under the Technicolor umbrella, okay, so cool. we're we're kind of we're we're part of a bigger empire now, which is you know it has it, it has its advantages and disadvantages, but uh, sure. you know it's a uh, it, it's it's definitely been uh, been a long long hard fought road to get to where we are today, so. Yeah. yeah. Is it like, is it just self-taught stuff really right now? Like if you really want to just get into it, you just have to grind through it and, and figure uh, it out kind of thing. There, there mean, are a lot. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Trey. Yeah. The, I, we're probably about to say the same thing. There are quality programs out there. Uh, SCAD, Savannah College of Art and Design is incredibly highly rated. There's uh, Seneca. Um, and Sheridan in the Toronto area. Um, Vancouver Film School is extremely highly regarded. Um, there's a couple more. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I don't, I don't know if there's anybody uh, doing it in Alberta right now. I mean, Pixel Blue was pretty good for me, um, but that was, you know, you got to be self motivated in a course like that. Right. Um, uh, I think uh, Durham Durham has a pretty good one out here in uh, Toronto as well. Um, yeah, it's always the online courses like the FX PhDs and the Nomans and kind of yeah. self-taught certificate programs. Yeah, and and I mean, for what you want to do is you want to find uh, a course that's going to not be scared to change its curriculum as you're going especially if it's a long program, like a four year program, right? Um, the shorter, the shorter stuff is better because I, I find anyways, because it usually, you know, you're, you're you catch, uh, you catch the technology in real time. But if you, if you're in a four year course, by the time, uh, by the time you get to the end of it, you, you may, unless you've been supplementing your education, you probably lost a lot of, uh, a lot of important information. Right. Fair so, enough. Well, and that's one of the that's one of the important things talking to people about going to schools. It's the uh, 
don't shop software, don't learn software. <laughs> the software is a tool. It changes yeah. constantly, and three-quarters of the software you use in the industry outside of the smallest of the small shops will be custom. Um, okay. we, do a, we do a ton of engineering on our end, building building custom solutions, custom tools, custom applications to oh, do really? this kind of work. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. That's no, cool. I mean, if you look at uh, if you look at it as if it's uh, you know uh, if 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 you look at uh, uh, the software you use as like a, a car or something, basically, basically you've got you know your 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 Honda Civic, and then you know you open up the hood and you put your turbocharger in, and you know you 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 change your carburetor out. Right. You, you know, you tune everything up to make it run faster. I mean, that's basically what we're doing with our software, like Maya and Nuke and things like that. We're we're taking it as the base, but we're stripping out parts we don't need and adding stuff back in that makes it uh, makes it run faster and better cool. for us. Yeah, awesome. So, how do you how do you go about it, it, just you know just because you know maybe there are some folks in the audience who might who might be interested in in this particular career path? How do you how do you really go about getting started if you if you wanted to right now? <clears throat> Trey, you want to take that one? Well, yeah. I mean, the well, the very first thing I would say is do a few years in a job you hate so that you have a little bit of perspective once you get into – I mean, straight up, there are – everybody complains about their job from time to time. But, you know, we wake up and we have a career out of playing with monsters half the time. You know, you need right. a little bit of perspective right. to understand how cool that is. For sure. Because it's a production business, and any production business is about clients, deadlines, and budgets, and delivering on time, you know, and it is commercial art. There, There's an art aspect to it. There's a very fulfilling creative aspect to it, but it's commercial art, and it's a business. And um, learning how to communicate, learning, learning how to get things done on time and manage your time is almost as important, if not more important than being an amazing artist. Right. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. And, and, and to add to that, I would just say, don't lie to yourself about things that you want, you, you are good at. Um, you know, if you want if you want to be a sculptor, but you've never sculpted before, or you haven't put in that, uh, I, I hate saying the 10,000 hours that you need to become a, right. become a good sculptor. Um, you know, you have to you have to know that you're where your niche is going to be when you get into this. You don't necessarily need to know right away, but you should have a path or at least have a plan when when you get into it um, and have a base in uh, in some form of uh, some something that that applies to the industry that you're trying to get into. In this case, visual effects. So you know, if it's whether it's uh, sculpting, programming, uh, you know, drawing. Uh, you know, uh, any, anything like that, uh, you know, you're, you're a photographer, things like that. Those are, those are, you know, the basis, uh, of, of what you need to kind of walk in and, and, and then move forward in the industry. But, uh, I, I think that, um, like Trey said, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a very creative industry. So, you know, you have to, you have to be a problem solver as well. Uh, so, so, um, you know, you have to be creative with problem solving because you're being asked every day to do something that no one else has done before. Um, a lot of the times. Right. Yeah. So, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and in terms of the, like the, 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 
technical details and you know the the uh the uh you know the schools or you know what schools to go to or how to get into it um i mean it, schools are good for uh for networking and, and and getting your name out there and then you know testing yourself against the other kids and the other the other students out there um so you know once you get in there you know you'll know right away what, whether or not you should be, you know, should be doing this or not based on how well everybody else is doing at it. Um, if somebody's better than you at something, either try harder and try to be better than them, or, you know, instead of focusing on being a, a modeler, maybe, you know, focus on camera tracking or something like that. Um, right. Because there, the, the, you should, you should always like, there's a balance between, being very technical and being an artist with this stuff. And, and you, you need to find out where you kind of sit on that spectrum. Um, and, and school is the best place to figure that out. Um, hopefully you figure it out sooner than later though, because it, you can waste a lot of time. I, I wasted uh, quite a lot of time on school and a lot of money on school before I found, uh, found something that, that worked for me that I could, you know, move forward with. But, uh, that would, that would be the one thing I would say to anybody trying to get into this is, you know, find, find a place, find out where, where you sit in the spectrum and then uh, move forward with that, um, and get, get really good at one thing. And then you can expand from there. Um, in terms of your skill set. Yeah, and there's really no substitute for practice. Um, you know, the there's a big cliche that nine-tenths of students and nine-tenths of freelancers spend most of their time talking about what they're going to do instead of just diving in and doing it. Right, um, right. And, you know, it's a cliche, but practice. Nobody is born a rock star at this stuff, no matter how it might seem. You might have guys who are unbelievably talented sculptors who turn that to a digital realm. You might have people who have an intuitive understanding of how cameras work in composition, and you can apply those skills. But thinking of it as, as applying your knowledge of a piece of software versus kind of the traditional artistic skills, I think is probably a mistake. Yeah. Oh, and, and you know, if, if you're planning on going into the film side of it, uh, do your research and, and learn a bit of history about what you're going into too. You'd be surprised how many people come into this who haven't seen Blade Runner or haven't seen Star Wars or haven't seen, uh, you know, Alien, you right. know, the, all, all of these movies that are, are, are basically, you know, where they wrote, wrote the, uh, they, they wrote the book on how we do a lot of this stuff and where it all started. I mean, you know, where, know where we started before you, you, uh, you know, or to know where you're going. Kind yeah, of, know the history for sure. Kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Trey, you got anything else? That. <laughs> no, probably not on that count. Yeah. Okay. No, I think that's fantastic stuff. Um, so, what what was the uh, you know you're in Toronto and and obviously Guillermo likes to shoot there. What what is the uh, obviously this is just last night um, that that best picture was announced. So it's pretty exciting to talk to you guys. Um, how did getting on this particular project come to, come to be for you two? Uh, do, do, do you want to give them the full history back to the strain or? <laughs> I'll uh, I'll, okay. You know what? I'm going to go back to mama. So, um, okay. Oh, you're going all the way back. Yeah. Yeah. So while Guillermo was filming Pacific Rim in Toronto, he was producing another film at the same time, uh, called mama. Okay. Um, 
the director is the same director, uh, Andy Machete, who uh, did it this year. Um, and we worked a bit on Pacific Rim doing um, pre-vis and post-vis for that. Um, and we were the primary VFX vendor for Mama at the same time. And out of that relationship, we did four seasons of The Strain, Crimson Peak, and now Shape of Water. Um, Guillermo, while he was filming Crimson Peak, had already started on design work and design work for the creature on Shape of Water. So probably two years prior to script lock and going into formal pre-production, we were brought on board to start kind of consulting. And that's an important point in that, you know, Guillermo used to own an effects studio called Necropia. His background was making B-rate horror movies for TV in Mexico. And he understands the vocabulary and language of what we do in visual effects. Um, as well or better than almost any client out there. Um, he's really, really sophisticated in how things work, how to plan to get as much as possible in camera, which I really believe, you know, 20, 30 years from now, when people look back at his filmography, it's going to be how he balances the practical versus digital disciplines um, in his creature work that creates such a unique organic aesthetic that I don't think many other people out there are, uh, are coming even close when it comes to, when it comes to creatures that make you feel something. Right. Right. Hey everyone, just wanted to take a quick time out from this conversation to tell you about the Calgary Film Center. Uh, it is a world-class screen-based production facility suitably equipped and serviced so you can execute your next project with ease. The Film Center has 50,000 square feet of purpose-built sound stages and 25,000 square feet of multi-purpose warehouse and workshop spaces complemented by their anchor tenant, William F. White, Canada's oldest and largest provider of professional motion picture, television, digital media, and theatrical production equipment. At the Film Center, their aim is to deliver production support for local, national, and international screen industry projects in a purpose-built venue designed to service individual client needs. Also, the Film Center delivers programs to engage and support innovation and excellence in the film and television industry. And one of those programs is the Project Lab, and that is open now for applications uh, up until the end of March. So you can find out more about that and check out the Film Center at calgaryfilmcenter.com. So how does it, how, how does a filmmaker like, like, like anyone, like, like if we've got, obviously if we've got some, some people interested in VFX listening, uh, that's great. But what about a producer and a director? How do, how, like you hear about a guy like Guillermo having, you know, a notebook just packed with all of his, you know, drawings and ideas for, for a creature or, or whatever it is he's hoping to create on screen. How, how do you, how do you come to a VFX person or VFX house uh, well-armed and, and ready to kind of convey your vision. What are you looking for from someone who's trying to work with you? Uh, well, Guillermo overcompensates for a bit. He's <laughs> uh, two years of his own money and about a half million dollars working with a sculpt with a set of sculptors actually to design the creature and uh, Mike Hill. 
um, who was at the BAFTAs with us a couple of weeks ago. He was the sculptor responsible for the final version of the creature okay. before um, the prosthetic company, uh, the makeup and prosthetic studio legacy effects took over and executed that for screen. But Guillermo had been working on concept art three to four years before going to camera test during pre-production wow. on this. Um, he knew most of what the creature was going to look like. He had detailed breakdowns of every scene in the script, knowing what was planned to be CG, what was planned to be in camera. Um, you know, this entire film, um, without getting too detailed, too detailed, you know, the a lot of a lot of directors who shoot VFX see it as an opportunity to, eh, we'll figure out the design issues later. Just shoot it on green, right. throw some tracking markers up, throw up some soft boxes, and we don't have to figure this out right now. Right. And Guillermo goes out of his way to get as much as possible in camera and have as much of, its, as much of the design and lighting figured out as possible before uh, before really going in and getting it in camera. And I mean, you know, the I think the final reported budget for Shape of Water was like nineteen point five million. Um, and you don't make a film that looks as expensive as this one does without going in with a plan. Right. 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 And, so, and and just to just to back up and just to go uh, just to say uh, to answer the answer the question um, for, for people to for for a producer or director to come in who maybe don't have the experience that Guillermo has or the 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 the, the forethought. I mean, yeah. the the idea would be get a prosthetics guy, get a visual effects guy, get a production designer involved early. And I'm going to talk, we're going to talk about this a lot more at the, uh, at the story summit, but, okay. um, get, get us involved as soon as humanly possible. Um, uh, right. stage if not before. Yeah. Because if you don't, if you don't have, if you, and, and you know, it all boils down to what uh, we're going to talk about this a little bit too. Like it, it boils down to what you write and what's in the script. I mean, uh, you know, you, you can explain what the creature is and all that stuff, but you need to start visualizing it and doing all that stuff and getting into the concepts working and getting all that stuff done. Uh, if you show up, you know, a week before production starts and, and you say, I, I don't know what the creature looks like. It's supposed to be this thing. Let's call somebody and see if they can come in. You're, you're going to end up with, a, you know, a paper mache head on right, a, a right. dude in a green suit. But, you know, you, you, you want to, if you really want to flesh this stuff out and you want to have, uh, like Trey mentioned, mentioned Mike Hill uh, is a sculptor that helped out in the concept on, on, on the creature for Shade of Water. Uh, you want to get an artist that you can trust to kind of turn that stuff around and then get uh, a production crew uh, in early that can help you, uh, help you uh, plan for it and, and, and get it ready. Um, yeah, and it can be... Of, it can yeah, be sculptors, it can be concept artists at a VFX studio, it can be a design studio that's hired to do storyboards and a little bit of concept art. But the the more prep you do, the more the more you understand going in um, helps you from a budgetary standpoint. Um, it helps you from a creative focus standpoint. 
<clears throat> and it helps you from a logistics standpoint once once the, you get around to actually rolling cameras because, you know, there's another cliche of, you know, the director who isn't comfortable with VFX that leaves the effect shots to the very last shots of the night, every night. So you're basically rushing in the last 15 minutes before turnaround to get pickups of arguably the most complicated stuff in the day. Yeah. That's so interesting. I'm, but I'm going to call out any names. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but it's so cool because yeah, no. I, I think it was Guillermo, or I can't remember who it was, even at the Oscars yesterday, who said, you know, I went to Fox Searchlight and all I had was, you know, this little model and, uh, you know, and a bit of a story and stuff. And, and you know, what, what they neglect to mention is how much work went into creating that in the first place, right? Like it's, yeah, it's yeah. fascinating, I think, and so important. Yeah, and I mean, the so it doesn't stop there. You know, they we did in-camera tests three months prior to principal photography. We started working out how the creature's eyes were going to blink, how he was going to eat, um, uh, how we yeah. were going to film these drive-for-wet techniques. We did tons of concept once we actually had scans of Doug Jones in the suit. You know, how much is the creature's face going to move? You know, we use Doug Jones' actual face as a guideline and kind of his range of motion and his personality, we we kind of mapped onto the creature to kind of keep it grounded in reality. But there, there are all of these things that um, it takes time to figure out, and it's worth going through the thought experiments of all of this stuff to try to flesh it out as much as possible. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, it's so, it's so, it's kind of a no brainer when you think about it, but, but you don't, you don't have to go into, you know, when you're casting just a normal human character, uh, you don't have to worry about, well, how are they going to eat? How are they going to move? How's their, you know, that's, that's all stuff you have to build, right? You all, you have, you have to be able to do that. It seems like, am I right about this? Is it with a prosthetic and also VFX depending on the shot sort of? Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, you know, we go in shape of water generally from the creature's upper forehead to his upper lip is digital in every shot in the film. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. I had no idea. Yeah. There's a handful of shots uh, where he's entirely CG, like where he's laying back in the bathtub suffocating. I think the one of the big promo images you see everywhere of him reclining in the bathtub is an entirely CG shot. <laughs> That's entirely CG? Yeah. Yeah. I have to say this. Oh it, my it God. Just, I, I didn't realize how much there was. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> Thanks. Um, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, the the Cadillac that got wrecked. That's a priceless mint 1960s right, And, you know, knowing Guillermo, you want to art direct that damage within an inch of its life. <laughs> and that becomes the CG effect two inches from camera. And I don't think anybody would even think to look for that. Right, right. But, Interesting. You know, we, we went to a lot of effort to hide our seams between the digital and the practical in a different place in every single shot. Um, I'm a firm believer that I wanted the audience to believe that absolutely everything was captured on camera with servos. Like I, I wanted them to believe that this was 100% a man in a suit and I right. didn't want them to feel the CG at all. Wow. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I'm only realizing having this conversation, how successful you were. That's, that's very impressive. Yeah, you t- I, I was convinced as well that most of it was men in suit stuff. Yeah, that's blowing my mind right now. 
Well, and, and just to, to, to speak to what Trey is talking about, that's uh, something with creatures that, that, you know, when it comes to CG creatures and creatures in general, um, you kind of have to, you know, tug the reins back a little bit on the animators because they tend to be trained in a, uh, in a very squashy, stretchy Looney Tunes type of, uh, right, right. type of tr- tradition. And it, and it, they, they want to force things to look, uh, they, they want to go off model. They want to, they want to break things. They want to do things that don't necessarily look good for the shot. And, and that's one thing that we focus quite a lot on here, especially with, uh, with that is I, I call it beating the Pixar out of people because you kind of have to, <laughs> you kind of have, have to pull back a little bit and retra- retrain them in rotomation. And, right. Right. And, and, and uh, you know, and how to how to really look at how movement actually works, as opposed to what they perceive it as, and things like that. And and I mean that Trey, I'm sure you had a like I wasn't in dailies with Trey for a lot of this because I was in Santa Fe shooting Godless, but uh, but I'm sure you had a bunch of uh, uh, daily sessions that didn't go to you know that were about that exact thing. You know, well, it's the I mean, okay, straight up, Guillermo had been designing this creature for four years before we started sitting down in dark rooms with him. And it took us a while just to learn what on model was for the creature. And I mean, he knew the creature as well right. as his own children at this point, um, <laughs> which is fairly daunting. But one of the things we did is we scanned Doug Jones out of makeup um, in, you know, 30, 40 different poses And then when we did the facial animation for the creature, we would have facial animation for Doug Jones side by side so that we could make sure that we stayed kind of on the rails in a naturalistic form. Um, But yeah, the, there, there were, there were a lot of Looney Tunes eyeballs there at first. Um, There were tracks that were, you know, half a degree off that six months later, you can look at it and know that instantly. But going into it, you you don't. It's a learning experience. That's that's so it's so amazing. I think that you know that's a tell of like good visual effects is when it's just like you said. You you tried your best to make it look like it was a man in a suit, which which is just seems so backwards, right? But that's absolutely rings true to me, right? Is is the realism and believability of it? It's it's not doing what you what you in six tell you to do, right? Yeah, it's not even really the believability. It's it all inherently falls down to the audience's suspension of disbelief. Um, you sit down and watch a stage play, and you can see the wires on the actors. You can see the prop guns. You can see the set changes. All of this, it doesn't tear you out of the film, or tell, it doesn't tear you out of the story the way overwrought CG that really doesn't have any restraint and is all about spectacle does. Um, so we were really trying a different aesthetic for this show. Um, and people seem to like it. Very cool. You were, Trey, you were talking a little bit about, um, uh, leaving VFX shots to the end of the day. Uh, and yeah, not to name names by any means, but, but what are, what are some, some, you know, utility stuff that producers and directors can, can uh, do or prepare for to make sure that they're, uh, you know, making sure that the VFX team has a great, 
uh, ability to do a great job and, and not setting them up for failure, that kind of thing. Well, and embedding the VFX crew with the camera department is really the foundation of just about everything. Okay. Um, you know, we need camera reports for everything. Um, we need people to not be pissed off when we take 90 seconds to take an HDR. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, five minutes to take a LiDAR because all of the set reference material that we take saves you time and money in the back end. Right. In all a producer sees is the entire set coming to a, a halt. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's doing any work. An HDR. Um, but if you don't give us the chance, if you don't give us the time to do it, your product is going to suffer as a result. Right. I I, I use the uh, analogy of uh, you know give us give us three minutes now or it's going to cost you three months later. So. <laughs> um, it's it, it it really can boil down to that well, much work if you know they they decide that they decide not to not to leave the lights alone for for ninety seconds for right. us to you know take an HDR or you know uh, or if if they're like oh no we got to strike the set right away because we got to build something else you know give us give us that you know half an hour to, to you know properly survey the set and things like that I mean th- those are really the things that that. And, and, and if we get in early enough and we're in, you know, all the tech scouts and the pre-production meetings and things like that, we can, we can control that narrative a little bit and we can help, help them understand what it all means. But, you know, it's, it, it, it's also about edu- educating the crew as well, because, you know, the, this is all, uh, you know, it, it's all basically been the last 20, 30 years that we've been doing this kind of stuff uh you know as big and as and, and as integrated as we are as, as visual effects artists so uh and, and as a department and and everybody's just kind of now now i can go in and most people have some experience on a visual effects uh have been on a, a visual effects movie, so they know a little bit of it but uh you know there's still situations where you know we've got a cg werewolf that needs to run through a run through a, a set and the second they call check the gate, they're out there, uh, you know, striking the lights. It's, it's, it's just, you know, the, it's just education. I think, right. Of, right. Of, well, of cruise. So yeah. I, I, I even think, you know, the, to have VFX people on set at all is, is, is kind of unfortunately surprising to some people, but it's, you know, it's, it's gotta become the norm. Yeah. That's, that's a great point. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I mean the, the VFX, uh, in, in almost every situation, um, you know, the, there should be, you know, if there's going to be three people in the video village, it's going to be the director, the producer, and the visual effects supervisor. Because right. at the end of the day, the visual effects supervisor needs to check that frame and needs to make sure that there's nothing in there that's going to going to cost you know tens of thousands of dollars to fix later. So um, it's it's all it 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 is uh, got got it has gotten to that point where where we are that integral to the process. So, so maybe I can run by a, a little kind of hypothetical, uh, with you here. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that would be, I mean, imagine, you know, do you know about story hive, for example, in, in Alberta and BC? Uh, not necessarily. No. What, what is that? Yeah. So, so tell us, uh, you know, was a phone company started, started their own, um, TV service as well. Um, and mm-hmm. so, so when they brought that in, they, you know, part of the requirements of having your own kind of TV company is you have to kind of provide a public access 
channel or, or, or whatever. And, and, you know, this has been, you know, happening for a long time. But what, the way TELUS has approached it is they created this program called StoryHive, where they give grants of, uh, you know, $10,000 and now up to $100,000 for some projects um, to, to local filmmakers in BC and Alberta. And, you know, they get, they get rolling on these productions and they go on the VOD platform and the filmmakers retain the ownership of the, of the films, which is great. And, um, and so I'm trying to think of like a, like an Alberta filmmaker who's, who's maybe got a story hive, uh, and, and we're talking about ten dollars um, who maybe, maybe it's a creature movie, whatever it is, there's a VFX element. How does, how does someone as a, as a producer, uh, kind of approach a VFX person and say, you know, I, obviously well, there's never enough money, but I don't have a lot of money. How do I budget properly a for, for, you know, this thing that I want to accomplish? And B, how do I, you know, engage that that VFX person and and you know make sure that it doesn't look terrible? Um, well, I think I think the the first thing to do is look at the script. I mean, every everything starts there, right? What, whatever's whatever's on the page, whatever you write down, um, you know, whatever idea you have or whatever story you're trying to tell, um, you, you have to you have to look at what you've written. Um, you know, it's, uh, you'd be surprised how many times, uh, a producer comes in or a director comes in with this great script, but they don't realize how many visual effects they were. Right. Right. Um, well, and the other, you know, we, it's, we, uh, it, 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 in, in terms of creatures of prosthetics though, if you, if you're looking for that sort of, uh, thing on, on a budget, um, you, you kind of have to look at, you know, uh, do you know somebody who's at school for prosthetics? Do you know somebody right, who's right. at school for this sort of stuff who are maybe at the top of their class? Um, and, 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 you know, because, you know, most people that are in this game and that are doing this, this sort of thing, I mean, they're, I mean, you'd, you'd have, uh, that, uh, that, that, that grant might cover a, a week of their, of their day rate. Right. Of course. Um, so, I mean, you really have to do the research yourself and just kind of be, you know, almost do like an educate yourself on, on what needs to happen. But you can also reach out and, you know, if it, I imagine with the story hype stuff, it's mostly maybe new, new film. Yeah, exactly. students, things like that. Uh, I, I would I would just beat on as many doors as possible. I mean, a lot of us do do mentorships. A lot of us do try to help people out. A lot of us do, you know, are willing to help people organize stuff like this right um uh and, and we might not necessarily be able to be on set with them but we can you know help them and push them in the right direction uh and 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 in certain instances uh you know especially with creature creature work and stuff like that uh you, you know not seeing the creature and not seeing the monster can speak more to uh can, can can tell more of a story than just showing the monster all the time. So you look at something like Lost Boys, where you know they couldn't show the vampires flying really, so so they just you know did did cable cam stuff, right, right, right. Uh, you know of, of them flying. So you never actually saw them; you just saw people's reactions to what was supposed to be them flying. So there, there are creative ways to get around that, um, right? And and, t- and talking to somebody. Like, like us might might help them come up with ways of, of telling that story without costing, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. Um, but you know, in terms of in terms of prosthetics and how expensive this stuff is, and once you actually get out into 
the, the industry. I mean, you, you really need to look for, you know, the beg, borrow, and steal anything you can. So uh, be, be shameless in terms <laughs> yeah, of asking enough. for help. But yeah. be shameless, but embrace the limitations of your budget and time frame. Right. Um, the, you know, there is an honor and a discipline in exercising restraint, especially when it comes to, you know, the thrillers and psychological stuff where you can really get into the trap of showing the monster too much and kind of, for lack of a better term, blowing your load. Um, and a lot of the time, the the more restraint uh, solution is a more elegant solution in terms of storytelling, but also filmmaking. Right. Um, I mean, you look at something like John Carpenter's The Thing versus the version of The Thing that's probably from about five, six years ago, mm-hmm. where, you know, there was probably 40 minutes of screen time with that creature in broad daylight <laughs> yeah, yeah. in the new version, right? Um, but it ended up not really being a horror film. It ended up being an action film because it took all of the mystery away. Right, right. I was gonna, I was gonna ask Chris when you were, in, and to both of you, are you guys uh, special edition Star Wars fans or original version Star Wars fans? Uh, Despecialized edition Star Wars fans. Right. Yeah. 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 Despecialized. Yeah, like, there, there's a cut of of, uh, of episode four online that uh, is basically a, a scan of an old print that somebody found from 1977 or whatever, and that's yeah. my favorite version. Okay. Um, I will uh, I will take matte lines. I will take I will take floating black blobs next to the emperor's head. <laughs> I will take Ewok songs. I will take wires <laughs> everywhere. Just don't give me a CG Java. Don't give me a CG Yoda. Right. And right, right. please, for the love of God, don't give me Hayden Christensen's ghost. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was I was specifically reminded of the Wampa uh, because you know we see way more of of the Wampa in in uh, Empire uh, in the special edition, which is uh, kind of it kind of is too bad. And and it's funny because. Lucas is even quoted as saying that you know some people would say it's it's actually more interesting to not see as much of the monster, but uh, but he wanted to go for it, obviously. No, but that was it originally. You just saw the Wampa's arm. Yeah, Luke cutting off the Wampa's arm and getting away. In the special editions, Luke goes out of his way to kill the Wampa. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And, and then you just uh, see it there screaming, and yeah, it's just yeah that, and it doesn't <laughs> anything for Luke's good yeah, at yeah. all. Yeah, no, it's 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 gratuitous, is what it is. I mean, right. it, it, and that's and that's where you know it, you have to decide what kind of what kind of film you want to make. Do you want to be uh, you know gratuitous with what you're trying to show, or or do you want to uh, keep everybody engaged and inside of the story? Because right. as soon as as soon as people are outside of the story, going, huh, look at all that shiny, pretty stuff. Um, you know, you, you end up you end up losing your audience and and. Right. They kind of they kind of go numb. I mean, we've all sat in theaters and we've all got gotten to that point where it's kind of like I I, I feel like I'm being assaulted right now. Transformers, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, but it just and and that's what you know when George went back and did that to the 
to the originals. I mean, you know, God love him. He's, he gave us Star Wars, but, you know, he, he that restraint that Trey was talking about wasn't there. He didn't have anybody around him who he trusted enough, enough to tell him, no, All right. that's not a good idea. But it is always interesting that you're limited by your budget or whatever creative constraints, and, and it can actually result in a better finished product. Well, you, you look at you look at uh, Shape of Water as an example of that. Um, you know, that's not a budget that Guillermo's used to working with. I mean, he's he's used to working with a hundred plus million dollars. Right. Right. So, uh, I mean, I, I think that I think that a little bit of uh, struggle. Uh, in the end, will give you a better product. Yeah. The other thing, uh, especially when it comes to that. The other thing that I really found, Scott and I just finished our our first feature film, and we've got some gunfire and, and a little bit of VFX. But but what what surprised me the most was actually not what we put in VFX, but what we took out. Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. I don't, I don't know if you want to speak, speak <laughs> well, to that, but that to, that totally threw me for a loop. Of course, but of course, it makes sense that. You know, it's it's more like you know, pulling things out of the background or 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 pulling out booms or, or whatever it was. Uh, My very first feature film gig was on an indie film called Order In back in '93 or '94, and my very first VFX shot was in Photoshop painting a pair of grip gloves that was left on a table <laughs> in the middle of a crowded restaurant oh for my God. 1,200 frames. <laughs> oh, <laughs> one by one? One by one. Oh, my there, God. Uh, there wasn't any automated tools to do it at the time. <laughs> wow. Oh my God. It was Photoshop at the time. That is horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> that is that is VFX hell, isn't it? Like, that's what hell is for a VFX artist. No, the 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 gate hairs are VFX now. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> you don't yeah. get too much of that anymore. Yeah, it's uh, since since we switched to digital, it's uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, Godless was a perfect example of what you're talking about, where you, we're removing things and 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 I mean, we're 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 doing a period western. And everything, uh, you know, like in the middle of the bell, we had, uh, we had, uh, you know, uh, base camp, um, all the buildings and there were, you know, tons of shots from up on this cliff where we were looking down on the city or down on the little town. And, you know, we were painting out trailers and, okay. and you know, propane tanks and all that, all of that stuff. Um, and then, you know, and, and of course everything's modern. So there's, you know, power lines everywhere right. and, and uh, culverts and things like that. So, you know, uh, what was supposed to be, uh, you know, th- when they, when they originally pitched that project to us, it was, Oh, we just need you to come help us with the train crash. <laughs> um, which is, you know, it, it was, it was ended up being, you know, a total of a uh, total of six or seven shots. Um, but we ended up doing, I think uh, total on Godless, there is over 1,100 shots, oh, wow. and uh, and you know they we, we were doing uh, you know we, we were doing uh, you know we did the train, but we also did you know a CG Sidewinder, a CG Elk. Um, we we burnt the whole town to the ground, um, you know, and which was you know a 250 shot sequence, and then uh, wow. Frank Griffin, who, who was played by Jeff Daniels, he his his arm was missing. Uh, through, yeah, through I, I've watched the pilot. The yeah, show. So, <laughs> he loses I mean, it right every, away. Yeah, 
Yeah. So, so, you know, the whole show we had to, every shot with him, uh, with him in the, uh, in the frame, depending on which way he was facing and where his arm was, you know, we, we had, a uh, uh, we had a joke on set. He would say, uh, either say asshole or cock and that's where I'll put my hand. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, you know, if he was, if he, if his back was to us, he'd put his hand in front of us or if his back was uh towards camera and then if his front was towards camera he'd put his hand behind him okay. but uh you know there's a lot there, there there's a number of shots where he where he has his back towards us in the beginning of the shot and then he turns around or ah, yeah. vice versa and uh you know or the or the prosthetic that they built didn't work quite right so he you know his bulge is funny or the strap was you know showing or something right. like that so all, all of these shots become visual effect shots um and, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you just don't know, um, you know, it, it, I mean, you do know in the beginning that this is going to be an issue, but, uh, as you're shooting day to day, you start to count up and make sure that your allowances and things like that are, are, are adding up, um, and, and you're staying on budget and things like that. But yeah, you know, just, just to, you know, when, when somebody comes in and says they just have a little uh, job for you. It's it's never just a little talk, right? So, right, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's like you know, two weeks ago, I'm out on set on Mexico with you know a crew of 400 in the middle of nowhere, and you tried to get a five minute take without any coyotes coming into frame. <laughs> or any dogs or any crew members. and it's like you are going to be there until the end of time unless you just commit and say, okay, we're going to do these VFX shots, we're going to paint them out you've got what you can in the can and we're going to move on. But, you know, I was there at the video village to make that call, you know, having, having that sprung after the fact is kind of a surprise. I mean, stuff like that always happens. You'll always have, you know, an airplane fly over a shot. You'll always right, have a non-period car enter the background. You'll always have somebody make eye contact with the camera. Some of the right. times that stuff plays, some of the times you can fix it in the edit, but a lot of times, you know, short of doing pickups, you have to do the math as to whether, do we do this as a VFX shot? Do we go for reshoots? What's the most efficient way to do this sort of stuff? Well, this is this has been great. I I, I want to talk to you guys for four more hours, uh, but you know, obviously, we, <laughs> we have uh, we do have the opportunity to see you at Story Summit, so we're looking forward to that. Um, anything uh, anything the listeners should check out? Where can they find you on the internet? What's your what's your social media stuff? Um, that Trey, you got you, you want to give me your Facebook? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll- I'll skip on the social media stuff, but you can, uh, on Twitter at Mr. Underscore X underscore Inc. Okay. And it's Mr. X effects.com. Okay. Awesome. That's a, that's a studio. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm actually on, on Twitter, uh, as Chris Mac VFX. Chris um, Mac VFX. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, but uh, but no, I mean it's been great talking to you guys, and just thanks thanks for letting us uh, you know bore you and uh, with all this no, stuff. Not at all. It's, I it's mean, been great talking to you. How lucky are we that we get to speak to the the team on Best Picture the day after they win it? Pretty cool. Um, yeah, so yeah, uh, thank you guys so much, and uh, we will see you next weekend, this coming weekend for uh, for Story Summit. Thanks. All right, guys, take care. Sounds good.
Thanks so much, guys. Thanks. All right. Well, I mean, I just can't even, it boggles the mind that we're talking to, you know, people who just last night won, uh, won best picture for a movie. Yeah. I'm, I'm having trouble just, just connecting the two things and, you know, in reality, you know, cause it's also, you know, they're not in the room with us either. Yeah. Um, so it just kind of feels like a, I don't know. It just feels weird. Yeah. But I mean, it's so, so great to have that Alberta connection to it as well. And, and absolutely. And yeah. So many Canadians working on it as well. So, um, and it's just, it was so refreshing, you know, people, it, it just goes to show how many people are just willing to share, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you know, and help out and say, you know, reach out and, and talk to us. We're happy to, to, you know, be a resource for you. So yeah. And, and they're both so clearly storytellers too, right? Like, like the, the whole idea of, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to show the creature every frame, right? <laughs> like you, yeah, can, exactly. you can add a little bit of suspense and, uh, it still works great. Yeah, I'm still. My mind is still spinning about the, the, the goal of making it look like a man in a suit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Backwards. Which is <laughs> so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's jump into the news you can use. Brought to you by Bleeding Art Industries. This week, as every week, Bleeding Art provides us with a wonderful tip of the week, and this time it is all about grants. And uh, they say yes. We hear the groans already. <laughs> we're we're fortunate to have grant programs on this side of the border, but they can be the bane of a producer's existence. Though at times eye-crossingly complex and time-consuming, they're often what gets a grant off the ground or into production. Best way to tackle a grant, start it early and do it in pieces so you're not burning the midnight oil right at the deadline. Because you know what happens then? Computers go down and you have no time to get questions answered or applications submitted. So true. Uh, (laughs) Give yourself some breathing room and always, always have someone proof your submission. There's nothing like typos to make those reviewing your grant groan right back. Um, And you can see all the hot tips from Bleeding Art Industries at bleedingartindustries.com. I I can certainly relate to this uh, just this past week, uh, you know, delivering right under the deadline. And it never feels good when you have a rushed application going in. You know, it's never, never feels like your best work. No, certainly not. Um... And just, you know, the stress uh, of, of trying to rush, you know, creates, for some reason, doing it, you know, it always creates problems that may not have ever even happened, like the computer shutting down or your, you know, your printer doesn't print. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, it only, you know, the printer only, only fucks up, you know, right <laughs> yeah, at the, yeah. when you're, when you need it. Yeah. Right. Runs, <laughs> so, runs out of blue ink, but you only need to print black, but it won't print yeah, anyway. <laughs> no, too bad. Yeah. All righty. So yeah, let's jump into printers. the upcoming deadlines. Um, sure. Uh, the spring 2018 member screening for the CSIF is coming up soon, uh, and the programming committee at the CSIF is looking for new member films to screen at the semi-annual on-location member directing screen director well, on-location members screening and directors talk happening uh, May 2018 at Theater Junction, Junction Grand. So you do need to be a uh, associate or production member in good standing to submit your film, uh, but any but films of any length are uh, are accepted. So if you'd like to apply, you can send a link to the. Uh, like a screener link to the CSAF uh, of your recently completed film made after May 2016 with a synopsis and filmmaker bio to programming at CSIF.org. Oh, and the deadline for that uh, is March 23rd. Okay. Um, yeah, I talked about this a little bit. Um, 
in between the conversation here, uh, I'm realizing that I screwed up on the deadline, uh, but the Calgary Film Center's Project Lab 2018 uh, is now open for applications. Um, Project Lab, which of course we were fortunate enough to uh, participate in uh, last year, um, is a great launching pad for Alberta Voices. So this is the second year and it supports Alberta's, Alberta's emerging filmmakers by providing them with grants to launch their project into the global marketplace. It's supported by the government of Alberta and it offers support in the areas of finance, venue, mentorship and equipment services along with in-kind resources. Uh, it is designed to engage seasoned Alberta producers, storytellers and others who will use their skills to train and mentor the new generation of talent. So uh, who's eligible uh, in 2018, the project level support emerging filmmakers with existing micro budget feature productions that are either uh, pretty much ready to shoot uh, or productions requesting completion funds for post-production work. All submissions must demonstrate clear marketing and distribution strategies in their applications. Project Lab this year is going to sponsor two feature films, which is just awesome. Uh, and you can apply, uh, I think you just, yeah, visit the website, uh, calgaryfilmcenter.com. And the deadline is March 30th, uh, which is the Friday, not March 31st, uh, at 4 p.m. Mountain Time. Submissions must follow the format as detailed in the guidelines. Um, and any applications that significantly deviate will not advance to the jury for consideration. So, uh, yeah, definitely it's something to, uh, to look into sooner than later because a right. feature film is a, not a small grant no. application. Yeah. And if you were listening to bleeding arts tip, probably better to get started right away. <laughs> the 26th annual artifact, small format film festival is coming up. Uh, this is, uh, the, uh, you know, film celluloid based film festival. Um, you know, we always talk about it being, you know, it may be the only film festival in the world, uh, that, uh, exhibits exclusively on celluloid film. So, um, obviously, uh, something to check out if you're interested in making a, a film on film, um, for next year and, and submitting it, but, uh, definitely wanting to check out, uh, the event itself. So, you know, uh, kind of what it's like and what, uh, what the experience is like for, you know, people who submit films and, and, uh, and for the audience. So, uh, Definitely want to check out uh, the 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 show happening at uh, the. Um, uh, I'm totally blanking on the name. I just said it. It's the Theater Junction Grand, um, and the uh, dates are March 8th to 10th. Um, and uh, there's a, a ton of awesome eight millimeter and sixty millimeter films happening, in, as well as this thing called Film Music Explosion, where a band and filmmakers kind of jam on a song and a video together. And by video, I mean actual film. And they screen these things and they perform the music live, which is very cool. Um, Super cool. So you want to check out ArtifactFilmFestival.com, and uh, I'm going to be there. So I hope to see you there. Yeah, uh, um, the Canadian. Media Association, which is like the Ampia of Canada, uh, is going on tour. Uh, they're calling it the CMPA Roadshow. Uh, and the reason that they're going on tour is because the current actor independent production agreement and the DGC standard agreement uh, both expire on December 31st. So what the CMPA is doing is uh, meeting with both groups to negotiate the terms for the new agreement. Uh, they will commence negotiations as well with the Canadian Federation of Musicians, which will uh, lead everyone towards a first agreement. So in prep for these negotiations, the CMPA invites members to join them for consultation sessions uh, in Edmonton and Calgary. Um, they involve confidential discussions among CMPA members. So you must be a CMPA member and you must RSVP in order to attend the session. Um, so in Edmonton, it's happening on March 14th at the Fairmont Hotel uh, McDonald from noon to 2 p.m. And in Calgary, it's happening at the Sheraton uh, Suites Calgary Eau Claire uh, on March 16th from 1130 to 1 p.m. So you can uh, confirm your participation at either event by emailing Dean Karanovic 
or Karanovich, sorry, I'm, I'm botching your name as always, uh, dean.karanovic at cmpa.ca. Uh, you can find out more in the show notes or Google uh, CMP Roadshow. Phil Frazier, one of uh, our province's, uh, you know, founding fathers of broadcasting and uh, and literal founding member of Ampia, um, passed away recently. And uh, there's a memorial service happening for him and his life uh, happening on Friday, March 23rd from 2 to 5 p.m. Uh, with the program be- uh, begin- beginning at 2.30. Um, Phil Frazier uh, died at the end of the last year, and he he was one of the founding uh, members of Ampia, in addition to uh, being a writer, producer, educator. And uh, yeah, really, you know, uh, a great opportunity to kind of pay your respects to uh, those who came before you if you're a filmmaker. In this province, he was one of the originals. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's happening uh, at the faculty club uh, at, uh, on the University of Alberta campus um, in Edmonton. And you can check out philfraser.ca slash memorial dash service. That's phil, F-I-L, Fraser, F-R-A-S-E-R dot C-A. Uh, we talked about this kind of at length last week, but uh, there is a drop-in clinic happening at the Calgary Society of Independent Filmmakers during the Artifact Small, small Format Film Festival this weekend. Um and it is a small format equipment clinic. So the, the visiting artist, John Porter, um, he will assess, demonstrate, and train with any Super 8 and 8mm equipment brought by workshop participants and CSAF. So you can come in with, you know, a camera, a projector, a you know, splicer, a reel, uh, you know, and some film. Um, and uh, and he'll kind of talk you through it and, and, and kind of show you what can be done with it. So it's 20 bucks to, uh, to drop in. And it's happening on Saturday, this Saturday, March 10th, from noon to 4. Um, and of course, you don't have to be there the whole time. You can drop in whenever you want. But uh, a really cool way to kind of get some hands-on learning with, uh, with Cellulite Film. Awesome. Uh, so uh, New TV is doing their summer school uh, this summer. Um, it's happening uh, from... Uh, two to three days a week um, throughout uh, May through September, uh, September, which is pretty cool. So um, you're going to be able to. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of for beginner filmmakers, crash crash course course in all the skills you need to bring a story to life on camera. So over four months, um, you're going to take workshops and and you know get info and and start making your film. Um, and uh, you do need to apply to this program uh, by March 16th at 4 p.m. Um, and the costs uh, for it are uh, $500 for non-NUTV members uh, and $350 for active NUTV members who have logged under 50 hours uh, and $100 for NUTV TV member, active members who have logged over 50 hours of um, uh, volunteer time at the uh, NUTV uh, studio there. So um, kind of a cool uh, opportunity. So check out uh, NUTV.ca for more information about that. Matt, what is blocking? I I have no idea, but I'm, oh, okay. I hear there's this, this workshop coming up. That <laughs> yeah, I you, should, you might want to something this workshop. <laughs> so the CSAF is hosting a blocking for film workshop. Uh, it's happening on Saturday, March 24th. It's a single day from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's this thing called blocking, which I guess is about placement of actors <laughs> and camera and and the movement of the of such and you know how to tell a story that way. It's taught, it's being taught by some guy named oh, I'm going to botch his name Matt. <laughs> Matt Wetteroth? Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, Matt, you, you, Matt. you get names right more than you think, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, it's because I tried twice with every name. Right, right. <laughs> so, you know, you split the difference. Nice. No, yeah, Matt, of course, you're going to be teaching this uh, this workshop on Saturday, March 24th. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, as someone who has seen Matt in action, I encourage anybody who wants to uh, learn more about directing to attend this workshop and, you know, focus 
focus on a specific part of directing that is so important and so often overlooked. Yeah, it's going to be um, a cool. So to register, of, you can register. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Cool. Deep dive into like one kind of uh, aspect of it, which is cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and a great way to meet Matt if you haven't met him in person before and kind of, you know, work with him. So the deadline to register for this event is March 19th. Um, and it's $120 for members or students and $160 for non-members. You can find out more at csaf.org. Winona Earp season three uh, and Tin Star season two are shooting in Alberta right now. Um, I was actually uh, lucky enough to pay a visit to the Winona Earp um, production office uh, recently. Oh, cool. Which was very cool. Um, they do some cool, uh, some cool stuff. And, uh, it was just, yeah, it was, it was fun to see, um, the machine at work there. I haven't, I haven't been in a, in a production office in a while. So, um, it's always cool to see like, there's the wardrobe department and counting and, and, you know, everybody's doing their thing and, and, uh, making something that, you know, a lot of people are big fans of lately. So, um, cool project to be involved in. So congrats to everybody doing that. Uh, not to mention the tin stars, yeah, the same deal. Uh, lots of, lots of cool stuff happening there. So very lucky. Hope, uh, hope that we get some more activity, uh, soon here in the province. Um, and let us know if we, uh, if we haven't mentioned your production, we'd love to talk about it. Certainly. Uh, job calls. Metro Cinema is looking for a summer student. Um, of course, Metro is Edmonton's community movie house dedicated to the presentation of film and video in many forms. We program and host a thousand events each year at the historic Garneau Theater, and they're looking to fill three different summer student jobs. The first is the facility assistant who will assist with renovations to the lobby, auditorium, and backstage areas of the Garneau. Uh, the second is an outreach coordinator who will be involved both hands-on in assisting with film screenings and live events uh, and with building connections with community groups and schools. Um, and the third, of course, is a communications intern who will be involved both with hands-on uh, in assisting with film screenings and live events and in a series of renovations and restorations to the theater. So, uh, yeah, three really cool um, opportunities if you're kind of trying to get your start in the industry. Um, and you can send your cover letter and resume to director at metrocinema.org. The deadline for application is coming right up uh, at the end of this week, March 9th. So, uh, yeah, I encourage you to do that. Luma Quarterly, Quarterly, a very cool uh, media arts uh, online uh, publication, uh, is uh, in search of an, an editorial assistant. Uh, this is an internship to work on Luma Quarterly, with uh, which is put on by the Calgary Society of Independent Filmmakers and M Media Production and Gallery and, and Society. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I, I put those in the wrong order, but they're yeah. great. Uh, they're great. Luma includes critical essays, news, reviews, event previews, interviews, reflections, and photo video essays about culturally relevant productions, events, and ideas. So if you're interested in, uh, in getting involved in a production like that, this is the perfect opportunity for you. Um, and I believe you can check out CSF's website for a posting uh, of it, but you can also always just click on the link in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, into the recommendations stage of the week. Mine is kind of a, a bit of a cop-out, but uh, I really feel passionate about this. My recommendation for this week is Story Summit. Um, you know, we, we've, we've harped on a lot, but... Um, if you know if you're if you're thinking of, of maybe going, th then just pull the trigger um, and, yeah, and you join got us it. there. Yeah, it's it's the best event of, of the year, um, and uh, obviously you know some great people are going to be there. Um, and and if you've listened to these episodes, that's an easy icebreaker with these folks, right? Just say yeah, hey, I, I'm be on the podcast. That's true. Um, so yeah, join us there. You know, we're looking forward to uh, to learning a lot and meeting some really cool people and uh, just having a great time and beautiful band. And you know, it's really so targeted at. In, in my opinion, the, the people who listen to this show truly, because, uh, you know, they're, they're looking to, to enhance the, the work 
that we produce here in Alberta. Um, yeah. And, 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 you know, it's not, it's not a huge event. It's not a Banff World Media Festival. It's not, uh, you know, like a uh, primetime in Ottawa, you know, right. big conference. This is more of a, an intimate, you know, storytelling conference. And uh, it's right in your backyard. And if, yeah. you, if you're able to check it out, um, definitely do so. Yeah, for sure. Um, I am going to recommend... Uh, IMDb Pro, which I, I, I'm worried that we did talk about already, but, uh, you know, before we went to LA, when we were setting up our meetings, uh, IMDb Pro, uh, really well worth it. Uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. Not necessarily just grab it any time, but boy, if you're, if you're trying to plan some meetings or do some casting or, or get, uh, get some connections made, um, IMDb Pro has a ton of information that you would think might not be available. Sometimes if you, you know, if you're trying to reach out to that particular filmmaker or that particular actor, their, their agents contact info is there. And occasionally it kind of feels, kind of feels illegal. Yeah. Yeah. Because occasionally <laughs> their, their personal contact, direct contact info is there, uh, as well. Uh, not so much with the actors, but certainly with some of the filmmakers. So, yeah. um, definitely uh worth checking out if you haven't already um it's come yeah, a long way i think in the last you know in the last 10 years or so uh so yeah tons of really really useful information there so check it out uh, i have another recommendation this one is is uh on behalf of briar ah okay um and it is a movie film that uh is out in theaters right now called annihilation oh okay have you seen it no i have not um you know i loved ex machina and uh annihilation is getting some mixed reviews um but it was it was really quite good. Nice. <laughs> yeah, and worth seeing in theaters if you can get out there and see it. Um, you know, a bit of a mind fuck. Um, really, really just excellent storytelling. Um, and you know, a great movie where you know all the the lead characters are uh, women and it, they don't make a big deal out of it. Right. Right. Cool. <laughs> That's great. So yeah, definitely worth checking out. I was kind of nervous that it wasn't going to be good. I'm so glad to hear that it is uh, a good good film. So thank you to Briar for that recommendation. Yeah. Well, I mean. It, it, Oh, go ahead. We're yeah, a little totally. off time, uh, I think. Thanks to Skype. Yeah, I think it's just my, no, my internet's a bit slow. No, you know, it's uh, it's not doing super well at the box office, which okay. is too bad because you know it's an original story, right? Yeah. So if people are. You know, if you're complaining about how Hollywood doesn't make anything original anymore, uh, go put your money where your mouth is and and you know pay money to support movies like yeah, this really. one. Original, you know, just an original screenplay. That's yeah, not a prequel, not a sequel, not an adaptation, a, not a reboot. Um, I think it is actually based on an, on a a novel oh but, it is um, that's right yeah yeah but still but either way yeah it's uh, it's worth based on a book it's briar's saying so yeah it's worth seeing awesome well again yeah thank you to briar for the recommendation and for all the work uh, you do uh, gathering up all these uh, great pieces of information for the audience uh do let us know if you have any uh, any feedback uh and and you can do so at hello at abfilmcast.ca but i would be remiss if i didn't thank obviously our guests uh but also uh chad uh who does our music brit who does our images and seth who helps us with the editing process um and so where uh yeah i guess where can people find us online uh, you know, you can find us on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and SoundCloud, and it's all at uh, AB Filmcast. Uh, please do subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Give us those five-star ratings. It really does help us um, reach new filmmakers who might uh, be interested in the information that we're sharing. Um, yeah, and check, yeah, out, that's, check out the show notes for uh, more information about everybody involved in the, in the episodes all the time and our guests as well. And uh, thank you to our sponsors for making the show possible. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll have uh, one more message from our final sponsor, APA. Uh, and once you're done listening to that message, go, go make, make something.
The Alberta Filmmakers Podcast is proudly sponsored by APA, the Alberta Post-Production Association. APA represents technical and creative professionals working behind the scenes in editing, sound, and visual effects. Our members live here in Alberta and support producers with expertise in picture editing, color grading, graphic design, compositing, audio post, music scoring, and so much more. For more information about post-production, visit APA online at albertapost.org.